body, my choice is not a you can't touch this subject is an understatement. There's a lot of buzzwords. There's a lot of things that go on when, when that comes up. And so as we're thinking about this, this really is a hot potato. And uh, it's something that we as Christ followers need to, how to know how to respond to that. And for those that are just checking things out, uh, still not convinced about following Christ, it gives you an idea, it gives you an opening to see uh, how we as Christ followers are to, to follow. And when we're talking about this, my body, my choice, it goes much farther than the issue of abortion and women's rights. It touches all kinds of things when it comes to our body. Uh, it can touch, uh, we're going to talk about today a little bit about tattoos. Uh, every once in a while I have somebody who asks me about that. And the, doesn't the Bible say this and that about it? It can also uh, touch on the idea of cosmetic surgery. Sometimes I, I get questions about that. Every once in a while I get questions about cremation. And so all these kinds of subjects are all having to do with our body. And we say, my body, my choice. And what does that mean for us? How does that show up in our lives? And one of the areas, again, is uh, tattoos. And it's my body, my choice. So I just th thought I'd show you just to ease into this. We usually have a little bit of fun about some of the tattoo uh, failures. Uh, sometimes uh, you can Google these things and you can see uh, what can happen or what can't happen or what should never have happened. Uh, this is one of my favorites right there. <laughs> that guy, uh, he, he loves the, the mutant ninja turtles, I guess. Uh, and then this guy's really must be into checkers. And you can see that this, you know, I just don't totally get this. And then some like to demonstrate just their, their just intellect and their superiority. And then so sometimes you have a tattoo like this. Knowledge is power. I think someone forgot to spell something. And then another one like this, no regurts instead of regret. So, you know, you know, I, I, I would, if I was going to get a tattoo, you know, I, I would definitely have someone do a spell check. So anyway, so as we unpack this, this is our third segment in this Can't Touch This series. Uh, we started in the fall. We did a number of weeks. Then we did something around wintertime. And this summer, we got maybe three or four weeks left, and we'll wrap that up. Also, I've encouraged you along the way to, if you have a subject that we haven't covered, I can't promise we'll cover it, if you email me, put it in a Connect card, I will take a look at it and see if we've got time to unpack it. So you may say, wow, there's this thing that I've been thinking about, and it's one of those can't touch this kinds of things. What? does the scriptures, what does God think about those? And we'll, we'll t see if we can take a look at it. So you probably got one or two weeks to get something like that in, and then, and then we've got to shut down. Like I said, I've, I've had a few uh, come in, and, and, and it's shaped some of our discussion. All along, uh, we've used this idea of this option matrix. Uh, you had a little card in your program, and uh, you can take a look at that. It's also online. For those online, you can look at that. And it basically gives us a grid, a way to think through how to make decisions, how to make choices. And you can see you've got the five C's. You've got commandment, conviction, uh, matter of, con uh, of conscience, and then you've got conjecture and choice. And we all unpack that. Also, you can see that we've got a little link 
um, from another message that really goes into depth explaining that. Uh, some of the details are in the back of that card, just telling you what some of the words mean uh, so you can get a little bit of an idea. And again, here's the, the link to the message where we really uh, unpack that. That was one week we were looking at gambling and, and what does scripture say uh, about gambling and how should we respond to that. So again, we're in this My Body, My Choice and uh, I don't know about you, but when it comes to, uh, again, tattoos, uh, according to polls right now, 29% of us adults all have a tattoo. And then when it goes to 18 to 35, it goes up to 47% of us. And in the Spencer household, the original five, 80% of us have tattoos. Wow, you, yeah, Cindy has a tattoo. And you go, whoa, what is going on with that pastor's family? And I felt really left out. So I now have a tattoo. So I made up the last, you can see this. It says it's a heart. It says Cindy. And, uh, you know, so that's my tattoo. So now it's 100% Spencer's have one. But uh, anyway, so what, what do we do about this? Um, again, we've talked about things from entertainment. We've talked about wine and weed. We've talked about gambling, alternative lifestyles. All these hot potatoes, too hot to touch, can't touch this kind of subject. So our kind of our base verse for all of this discussion comes out of a letter to the Corinthians. Paul writes this, and he says, looking at it one way, you could say anything goes because of God's immense generosity and grace. And we don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster. But the point is not to just get by. And so when we approach these kinds of subjects, we're going to say commandments, pretty black and white, convictions just about there, but matters of conscience starts to break down. We have some, we have some room there to decide. When we look at these subjects, it's not about just getting by, what you can get away with. When that's our approach, what is going on in our life? If we're trying to follow Christ, it's not the idea of what can I be, a, can I be a Christian and can I get away with doing these kinds of things? That's just not a good way to approach faith. You need to, I need to approach faith and say, how can I follow God? How can I love God? How can I reflect his goodness that we just sung about in my life and in my behavior? So that, that's a completely different approach. If I say, how close can I get to the guardrail without having an accident, that, that's probably not the, the best way to approach life. So our spiritual lives, not the best way. So there's permissible things. Uh, there's things that are uh, whatever is, per, is not is maybe permissible. And then there's this idea in other translations, and we'll get there, uh, what is constructive, what builds up not only your life but others' lives. So we need to be thinking about this as we um, look at this subject. So as we think about my body, my choice, uh, the first thing we want to unpack is this idea that our bodies, if we're a Christ follower, we're and, and if we're just anybody, we're made by Jesus. And uh, we can see that it all goes back to that, that God was a part of our being. You're not here by accident, no matter what uh, caused, uh, whether the scenario surrounding your birth, uh, it's not by accident. God made you by purpose. And if we look at First uh, uh, Colossians, we'll see that Jesus had his hands in creation. Very familiar verse says this, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful. I know that far full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, in the womb, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. The idea of the mystery of that. And in the psalmist is writing, you have been aware of me uh, from day one, even before that, as I was forming in my mother's womb. And the idea that Jesus had his hands on this. I mentioned that Colossians passage. Everything was made through him, it's referring to Jesus, and for him. Another translation says everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So no matter who you are, you have God's involvement in your being on the planet. And it wasn't just the act of two people, God himself totally aware there's other passages where jesus says uh he's got his eye on the sparrow and then in that he says he knows the number of uh, hairs on our head god is totally aware of you and all the intricate parts of your life and way before creation he was aware of his plan to have you born on the planet earth and that it just blows my mind. Uh, it blows my mind that God cares about the micro, the macro, everything, creation, the cosmos, all that kind of stuff. Wow. But he brings it down and down and down and down and down to individuals, to us. He knows us fully. I've said this before. To pose a quote, this idea that he doesn't have to split his awareness up between us. It's not like he's got time for 10 relationships and he gives 20% or 10%, 10%, 10%, and that's all he can handle. No, he, he can give himself completely to you, fully to you, knows you fully, and can still know all that's going on, every individual on the planet who's who's come before and will come in the future. Uh, he's God. He's God Almighty. And we try to, um, try to describe him, and we describe him according to our reality, and that gives us a little bit of an idea, but it really often limits who he is. He's so much larger than the words we use to describe him. He, he, just, he just blows those away. So we've been made by Jesus. Also, our bodies have been bought by Jesus. He died on the cross. We sang a song about that, and it sounded really gross. Blood and shed blood, and what is all that about? He was the ultimate sacrifice. In the Older Testament, there were sacrifices pointing to Christ. And there was shed blood. And then Jesus comes, dies on the cross, risen again, one and done. There doesn't need to be any more sacrifices. And sometimes you hear Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God. And that is that idea there, that he gave his life for us. You should know that your body is the temple for the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you received him when you place your trust in Christ and you say yes to him. God joins you, connects to your life. He's a part of your life. He's, the Holy Spirit is a part of our lives. And you receive from God that lives in you. You don't own yourself. God paid a very high price to make you his. So honor God with your body. So if you're a Christ follower... God really owns your body. If you're a created being, which is everybody in this room, God owns your body. You just haven't come to terms with that. You're still trying to figure that out, and that's okay. There, there's, there's some time for that. You're in the right place. 
encourage you to speak out and see what he may be saying to you. But those of us who have said yes to Christ, he owns everything. Sometimes we joke, you know, about giving and all that kind of stuff. Oh, God wants your money. No, no, no. God doesn't want your money. God wants all of you. And when he has all of you, he has all of you. He has your money, your talents, your abilities, everything. And he gave his son, and I think that's a, an even trade. I can't even say that. I feel like I'm going to get struck by lightning because that's just such a small concept. But he has given himself, so we need to honor God with our bodies. And then also going right along with that is our bodies are useful to Jesus. He, he has, us, has us still in a place. Um, you're just not kind of hanging out there. Anyone who uh, is, is on the planet, has, God has a use for us. And if you're following Christ, that even gets amped up more, that he has a place for you and I to serve. And it's not about getting a job done. It's about fulfilling our purpose as a human being. We're just not on the planet for ourselves. Uh, the world tells us we're here for ourselves. Sometimes we tell ourselves we're here for ourselves. But no, we're here for a greater purpose. And what's fantastic is we actually can be a part of that. Uh, you know, God could keep everything going without your involvement, without my involvement. But for some reason, he invites us to the game. Uh, you know, he picks us to be on the team. And no matter what your skills are, he still picks you. Or no matter how poorly you feel you play the game, he picks you. That is awesome. We all have a role to play. And whatever that role is, that is significant for who you are. Sometimes we in our humanists evaluate, oh, this is a better role. This is a better role. No, no. All the roles, when we're fulfilling who God has made us to be, we're in our niche. We're, we're cranking along is. As great as the, as, the, as the big person out there, we go, wow, I wish I could do what they could do. No, no, God says, do what I made you to be, and, and let me smile and be delighted about that. And so you've got some folks out there that are so talented, and they're only using half of their talent, but we don't know that. And, and they're kind of holding out on God, and God is not as happy with them. God is happy with the person that seems to be not doing that much or not having much to offer, but it's all in. You remember the widow who gives her two mites, gives all she had. God is like blown away by that. All the rich boys who were throwing all this money in, but it was they gave money they didn't really miss. He wasn't really pleased with them. But the woman who gave it all was like, wow, 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 wow. So God can use who we are. God, you, our bodies are useful to Jesus. Don't offer parts of your body to serve sin. Sin being out of step with God, not aligned with how he would have us to live. Don't use your body to do evil, but offer yourself to God. As people who have died and now live, offer the parts of your body to God to be used for doing good. You have something to do, something to give. I, I don't, whoever you are, you again, you have something to bring to the game. Never, never let anyone say you don't have anything to offer. That's a lie. We, we sung about that. The lies. We, we, we want to see them dispelled from our lives. You have something to offer to God. He has a use for us. Romans 12.1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you in relationship with God. It's just not checking things off a list. You're walking with God. 
growing in that relationship. Take your everyday life, your ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and working, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Complete life. God has a use for you. I love this rendition. Let people see God in and through your body, the way you use it, the way you take care of it. I have to ask myself sometimes, I need to be careful how many bowls of ice cream I eat. Some of you are laughing. Why is that? Am I using my body to point to ice cream? Am I using my body to point to God? We all have our areas. Some are a little more visible. Some are not so visible. Do we use the complete package to point to God? So people see God in us, the way we interact with the world around us. Our bodies will be raised by Jesus someday. Don't understand all this. Don't understand the science behind it. But the principle is throughout Scripture. Jesus was raised from the dead just after three days. But all of us, are we will have new bodies that are raised. How that all works, not so sure. But I know this passage says, for the Lord himself will appear. Someday Jesus will come back. With the declaration of victory, victory over death, victory over sin, the shout of an archangel, and the trumpet blast of God, and he will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. And then it says, and those of us still on the planet will join him. So our bodies are owned by God, especially amped up if you're a Christ follower. You have to come to terms with that. He owns the whole package. Got some more things to talk about, but the bottom line, to kind of base it off, usually that's at the end, so don't go, oh, he's already done. I thought that was, you know, like Lawther was done early, and I've heard about it. I've got to make up for the 10 minutes he left out early last week. Oh, and now he's just kind of like, oh, what's that? Bottom line, what do you, what you do with your body says something to everybody about who owns your body. What you do with your body says something to everybody around you about who owns your body. And so you are a sign. You're a bulletin board. You're an advertisement, positive or negative. And some of us have seen the negative advertisements, and that kind of causes us to back off from community of faith, uh, all that kind of thing, and, and I, I know where you're coming from, uh, you know, experience that, but don't let the negative advertisements from somebody else rob you from the joy of following Christ in a community of faith in a local church. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. The only one who loses is you, and actually church loses because is missing some of the beautiful stuff that that would happen as well. But uh, what you do with your body says something to everybody about who owns your body. And I really came to terms with this concept. You may, you may not think this about, well, now it's been like uh, 30, close to 30 years ago. Well, no, about 
see how old are they? I forget. But they're from 27 years ago when the twins were born. And uh, I had been, we, Cindy and I had been married about eight years, and I was gaining 10 pounds a year. Cindy was a good cook, and I was eating way too much. I was a, I was a two Big Macker at a time. I'd get two Big Macs, three fries. I just was like terrible. And I was just gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. And, you know, I'm a, a new pastor. Yeah, I was, I was 30. That's why the number 30 came out. I was 30, and I realized that my body was pointing to lack of self-discipline. And this was a problem. And so I needed to at least stop gaining weight. And I did. And you may not think this, but I'm still 15, 20 pounds lighter than my all-time record when I was 30. And I need to work on that because I said, man, if I'm a Christ follower, I'm saying God can give you discipline over every part of your life. I should at least demonstrate discipline in the way I eat. And now I only eat one Big Mac. laugh because we try to make excuses, don't we? You should know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit that you receive from God and that lives in you. You don't own yourself. God owns the whole works. You let people see God in and through your body. And uh, as a Christ follower, bottom line, that, that that's actually a command. That's not a matter of conscience. It's a command. How that gets expressed, probably a matter of conscience and some gestures to it. But uh, it's supposed to be expressed. And it is expressed. So, you know, playing that, ter- that term around a little, that phrase around, it's really, if you're a Christ follower, it's really his body and his choice. It's his body and his choice. So as we approach life as Christ followers, we, we approach it that way. I am entrusted with this body. I need to take care of it. I need to use it well. Uh, I need to not handicap it. Uh, You know, things are going to happen. Health issues are going to happen. But uh, as much as I have a bearing on it, I need to be setting into play that it's his body, his choice. Jesus even did this on the night he was arrested. And he's wrestling with giving his body literally. He was going to give it overnight. You and I, you know, maybe it's a little bit of time. But him... It was death on the cross. He says, Father, if you're willing, take away this cup of suffering. The word cup, suffering, or punishment is metaphorically portrayed as something bitter to drink. I don't want to drink this bitter cup. But do what you want, your will, not what I want, my will. And he offers his body fully, completely. His body, his choice. And some of us have to come to a moment where we say, his body, his choice, when it comes to my life. So the five C's and tattoos. Oh, boy, now we're really getting into it. I've got to go home with a wife who's getting pregnant. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah, so anyway. So when it comes to tattoos, there's really only one verse that really talks about it. And again, we need to come back to our five C's, and it's not a commandment, it's not a conviction, we're going to say this is a matter of conscience, and and some people have come up to me and asked me these questions about this, so some of you are way beyond this, it's not a big deal, some of us are still wrestling with it, but back in Leviticus, it says, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves, I am 
the Lord. And we say, what does that mean? That sounds like no tattoos to me. What does that mean? Anytime you come to a scripture, you need to figure out the context, the original meaning. Then you need to find out what the timeless truth is and then apply it to the future. So there's passages in, in, in certain situations that it's an expression of an idea, and the expression of that idea is no longer a part of the way we live. Uh, we could talk about the fact that uh, Paul talks about all women should wear hats in church, and, and we don't do that. So what does that mean? Are we disregarding Scripture? No, there was a principle there, a timeless principle, and we need to apply that. And in that case, we can apply that not only to women, but we can apply it to men. In that case, it was a symbol of uh, submission. It was a symbol of following leadership, and it was a symbol of purity. So that's why they did. So whatever those symbols are today, we need to think about them and make sure we're not sending a different message that those women that weren't having their head covered in Paul's day were sending. So that, those are the ideas behind it. And sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes you need to study a little bit. You need to dig a little bit. You need to mine a little bit. You need to have some good commentaries that unpack this because you and I wouldn't know just from reading what's going on in that history. If somebody in a letter today wrote, um, uh, Dave Spencer, this wouldn't be true, is as fast as Superman, and then threw it in a box somewhere, and 10,000 years in the future, someone pulls this, finds this box buried, and there's a, Dave, was there Supermans back then? Were they real? Was he, you know, they, they, they wouldn't know the context. That's just an expression. It doesn't mean he's a Superman. It, no, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you know, know that but someone in 2000 years might not know that. So we got to think about that. So this idea it kind of hints in there. Do not cut your buddies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. There is an idea that when someone would pass away, it was a cultic ritual and they would mark themselves to be tied to the dead and all these kinds of religious overtones to it. So what he's saying is you should not be aligned with anyone else but me. And you shouldn't be aligned with all that dark cultic kinds of things. And there was all kinds of crazy things going on back then. And there are some of those things still going on today. But there's a lot there. So what the, the commandment is saying, don't align yourself. So don't have the symbol that says you belong to this kind of thinking or this is your thinking. So that, that's what he's saying. So today, tattoos don't have that. They, it's not it's not tied to all this kind of thing. I mean, it can be if you put a different kind of tattoo on, but all tattoos aren't that way. I mean, this one says I love Cindy, right? So so they're not all that way. And so I've showed you pictures of this guy before because uh, I, I just think he rocked the tattoos. He's in his uh, early 50s now, and it's a good friend of mine, and his name is Chris, and he's got tattoos everywhere, and he's been a Christ follower. His first tattoo came when he was... Uh, was 28, and each one of these has some kind of meaning to him. Each one of these is very special to him, and he looks cool rocking them. I, I would never look that cool. Hopefully, this is going to wear off soon. Thank you. But, uh, you know, 
you know, he, he can just do that. He, and it, they all mean, and I even asked him, I said, are there any, like, cover-overs? Like, it had a tattoo, I love Susie, you got, like, when you were dating this person, and then all of a sudden you're dating Rachel, and you had to cross it off. You know, what, 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 no, no, he says, there's no cover-overs. I just, they all mean something to him. All these have symbols, and they're almost like a testimony. They're almost like a monument to the way uh, God has unfolded his life. So this idea, again, of um, figuring out what it means in our time and realizing that Scripture says nothing negative about it in the sense that it's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of conscience for us what we do that. Again, different translation, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So that idea of what is wise for me and how what it, expects, it impacts my witness is those two things, beneficial, wise for me, constructive, my witness, building other people up. And so you have to figure that out in your context. And we'll be talking about some things in maybe one or two weeks where one kind of activity in one culture is extremely negative. In our culture, it isn't negative. So if you were in this other culture, and I'll talk about, unpack this in a few weeks, you would never do that activity. But in this country, you can do that activity, and there's nothing wrong with it. We need to understand that. We need to know that. So beneficial, constructive. And so so then we move on to another one, cosmetic surgery. And uh, what is all about this? And we go back to our little card, our little matrix, and we start talking about this, and we start to unpack this. Really, the, re the thing is why do you get cosmetic surgery? What is it all about? Um, you know, if you have breast cancer and you have some reconstruction, that, that's perfectly, perfectly fine. Um, if, if you uh, lost a lot of weight and need a little adjustment to, you know, the extra flex or whatever, that is fine. If you need braces, that, that's, that's kind of, you know, redesigning things, uh, changing things up, that's fine. The, 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 the question to this is what is driving this? If it's because I'm not being accepted by the way I look, then I think we need to start to think about it. If it's because I want to, my identity is all in how I look, I think we need to think about that a little bit. Peter writes this, he says, what matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. So when you and I think about our outward appearance, yes, we need to take care of ourselves and all of that, but if we're doing it just to be acceptable to somebody else, to be attractive to somebody else, because that's the only way they're going to like us. And some women will say, well, I need to do this and do that for my body, because then men find that attractive. Uh, that, that, that man's not worthy of me. You hear that? That man is not worthy of me. Because the reality is we all age, and as we age, everything kind of sags and comes apart, right? So it's just a temporary fix. So if you're trying to hold on to somebody just because of your appearance, that's a pretty weak relationship. So again, the whole idea behind this is what is your motivation for this kind of surgery? Is it because you, you, 
your identity is just hurting. You're, you've got to come to terms with my identity is in Christ. It's my inner life that's the most important. Uh, doing some of those things on the outside might be good, but, uh, but again, if, if that's what's driving it, stay away from that stuff. That thing's a matter of conscience. And if there's a person in your life that won't accept you, unless you change something about your physical body, then go find somebody else to be in relationship with. Don't let that be a driving factor in your life. The woman who was uh, coming to terms with all of this writes this. Beauty was in the pot belly of a well-fed and well-loved man. In the sparkle of his uh, eyes of his adoring wife. Beauty was in the shoulders of a young man who spent more time carrying the burdens of a friend than in the gym sculpting his muscles. I have to repent for judging the size of my thighs and the nose and lips and the unruly beard. Because the truth is this body is not the gift of God for me, but for him. My body is not a tool to sharpen and shape. It's a tool for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The feet that brings good news. The eyes that stare in the eyes of hurting people. The hands that minister healing. The body that curves itself to the brokenness it's surrounded by. And so as we think about this and we think about these ideas, it's that. It's the inner beauty, not the exterior beauty. Also, there's the area of creation, uh, cremation, my body, again, uh, my choice, or his body, his choice. And when it comes to that, uh, there is some religious overtones in the idea of cremation. And there's different cultures that feel that that releases the spirit. And unless you cremate the body, the spirit is not released. Sometimes you see that in India, that they, they burn the body for that symbolic reason. And, and we know that's not to be true. So, so, we, so we would not want to send that message. But in our culture, it is not an issue. It's not an issue. People don't think that. They don't think, oh, the person is uh, you know, being cremated because they want to release the person's spirit. We're not thinking that way. So it's perfectly fine. But when we do come to end-of-life kinds of things, uh, you know, we need to think about, uh, and when we come to demands about what will happen to us, we need to think about what is going to be most helpful for those left. What is going to help them deal with the loss of our life? We need to think of those kinds of things, which reminds me of what uh, Paul says to Philippians. In whatever you do, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. Be humble and honor others more than yourself. Don't be interested only in your own life, but care about the lives of others too. So when you think about your life passing, and you think about what is going to be best for your family and loved ones. That's the kind of celebration you want. That's the kind of, uh, you know, decisions you want to make. Uh, sometimes I've had folks, and some of it's good planning, but some of it sometimes is uh, such demanding outlines and mandates for their service, and it steals all the joy of the round people that are trying to celebrate that life. Don't do that to your family. Make sure it's open-ended. Let them celebrate. I mean, you're not even around. It doesn't really matter for you anymore. So let them do what will celebrate their life. Sometimes someone says, I don't want a funeral. I don't want this. I don't want that. And, and there's something therapeutic about gathering people together, celebrating a life, 
jeering story of something good and wholesome and kosher with God. And so don't rob somebody else. Don't rob the people that are left behind of being able to do the same thing. You know, as a pastor, I've probably been to more funerals and the parts of those things than probably anyone else in the room. You know, and I, I've seen it where, where, the, where the instructions that are left have become a burden on the family rather than a part of the celebration. So just take that in your mind. Whatever they want to do, let them do it. I've joked that I want my ashes spread up on top of a mountain, and they have to hike up there to get lit. And if they don't do that, then they won't get any of my name or initials. That was good. So, again, think about others. All right, probably one of the most difficult ones, and we're going to just touch on this, but uh, we will be doing some leftovers in a couple weeks where we can unpack this, is what are the five Cs and abortion? When you think of my body, my choice, that really comes to mind. And as we look at our little card, I'm going to say this really comes in the area of commandment, maybe slides into conviction, but I, I would say this is, this is a commandment. And so as we unpack that, I'm going to give you some verses, and I'm going to share some things. And, and I have to say this on the forefront. Um, communities of faith, have in the past and sometimes continue to make it difficult when somebody is facing an unexpected pregnancy. Shame on us. Shame on us. The first place a person should run is to their family and their community of faith and find support and find love and care and all that goes along with that. Not judgment. This is a trying time for someone. I can remember uh, being a youth pastor and a young girl, maybe 16, and she was a scholar, straight-A student, had all these plans, and she's expecting. And we embraced that. We, we, we did a baby shower. I had actually two moms come up to me after when this was in motion and say, we shouldn't do this. I'm like, what do you mean? We're glamorizing a, a pregnancy out of wedlock. I'm like, we're not doing that. We're supporting this young girl. Give me a break. I, I actually get mad at other people for that. I'm like, love the person. Take care of the person. She knows it's changed her life. You're, you're, you're against abortion, and yet you're not making it easy for her to, to have this baby. It's just what kind of message are you sending? We did that. She actually found a college that uh, allowed young mothers to go, and it was a, a high-level college, so it was a good college. She went with her baby and, uh, and, and graduated and did all the things, and, and they were accommodating. And it's amazing, th the, the college wasn't a college of faith. And I, I haven't done any research, so I may be misspeaking about this, but the places that should have that kind of program are Christian colleges. They should be a place where if somebody's not expecting unexpected pregnancy, they, 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 can, they can still have a pathway and they don't have to walk with shame because the reality is this. This is the reality. If everybody who had sex outside of marriage got pregnant, there'd be a lot more unexpected pregnancies. They just happen to make a big mess. So please, please, please pull back on that.
You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only the temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since your master, since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. Same thing. Talking about intimacy here, talking about the whole package. And we need to make sure that we're honoring him with our bodies. And so that means intimacy should come in the context of God's plan and God's marriage. Doesn't always happen all that time. But if you're not married, that's the direction you should be moving in. You want to build a life on a foundation that's godly. Does God have grace and mercy and let you rebuild your life? Absolutely, yes. That young woman I talked to is now probably in her early 30s and found someone got married, has a couple more kids, and is, 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 is life is good for her. Life is good. This, this, this is a part of her life, but, it, but it's, it's not defined her story, and, and that's, that's wonderful as well. So there is grace, there is forgiveness, all of that. But on the front side of it, you want to you you want to save that for marriage. You want to let that be an expression that you've only given to one person. But yes, there is forgiveness if you haven't. But don't let that be an excuse. Well, I know a couple people that you know kind of didn't do that, and now life's good for them. Look at that girl Dave just talked about. It was hard work. If she could do it over again, she would have done it the other way. So. So, so don't let God's grace be an excuse to do whatever. And we can do that in any area of life. Talking again about abortion, talking about conception, uh, you know, back to Jeremiah. It seems to be throughout Scripture. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. The idea that God is aware of that baby. It's a not an accident. And uh, some might say, well, when's the baby really a baby and all these kinds of things? And, and, and it's, it's not to make fun of that and any, any of that. But, you know, it's so interesting to me. There are so many other aspects of life that if, you, if there's a possibility it might be wrong or it's a possibility this might not be the right thing, we don't move in that direction. So if it's a possibility at conception that is a little baby, wouldn't you run with the possibility? Is that possible that I'm just going to kind of really, you know, again. And again, we need to have a welcoming world. Some of the reaction to this is because it's not a welcoming world when it happens. Shame on us, shame on us, shame on us when we don't make it easy for someone to bring an unexpected pregnancy into the world and support that person. I, I, it just gets me. Psalm, again, you formed my innermost being, shaped my delicate insides and made my intricate outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is a marvelous, breathtaking. It amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. Again, the idea of inside out, knowing us totally, You've even formed every bone in my body You, when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw you who you created me to be before I became me, before I'd even seen the light of day. The number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. God is involved in conception. 
And the idea and the idea and idea is that is a person. There's two heartbeats. There's four hands. So in the mom, there's four lives. Yes, can it live independently? No. But you know what? It's interesting. I, I was very aware of this. Our grandson, who's going to be um, a year this, this, this uh, month, he couldn't function by himself. If you just kind of left him somewhere, he, he wouldn't survive. So, so that, that, you know, there were people in our lives that have health issues. They, they, they wouldn't survive if someone wasn't there for them. I don't know if I would survive if I didn't have health or electricity or anything. You know, I don't know if I'd make it through this. All of a sudden, all those things are taken away in the middle of the winter, you know. That's a little dimension for a person who's probably sick. But, you know, yeah, no one may. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't survive. So, so, so don't overplay that, that idea. We see it all around. Uh, this concept, if a woman is expecting and is hurt, killed, or whatever, and there's a problem with the baby, they, they say two people died. They don't say one. So it, it's kind of interesting, both sides of this. And uh, so, so, you know, you see this in Scripture, you see this in our laws today. You see this idea about shedding blood. That's a commandment. Killing is not good. And some would say, wow, what, what's going on there? This seems, seems really, really hard stuff. But the idea here is that is that is that that is a baby, that that is a human being that God is a father. When you come to this issue, you need to really think it out. And I really think God gives us direction. If you need wisdom, ask by a generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for the asking. Now, sometimes people will say, well, what about when someone's raped? They, I could give you the statistics if you want them or, or the sources, but less than 1% of all terminated pregnancies end in rape. Less than 1% are risking the mother's life. So that 2%, so 98% don't even go inside. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what I would have done if, if one of my, well, I, I think I know what I would have done, but I, I would have tried to, you know, Two, two heartbreaks don't make everything right. So going through something traumatic like that, and some in this room may be wrestling with traumatic things like that, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, another traumatic thing doesn't make it right. It, it hurts in both areas. Now, there's two areas. I've, I've talked to, to women uh, all the way from their 80s down who, 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 have, who terminated a pregnancy, ended a pregnancy, and, 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 they're, and, and they still live 30, 40, 50, 60 years with some kind of regret. You don't just get a pass by that, no matter what the circumstances are. So you, this, this, is, this is hard stuff, really hard stuff. But there also there's another piece of this. There is forgiveness. That's one reason we uh, support the Family Hope Center. They've got programs, someone who's been through confidential programs, someone who's had an abortion, uh, they, can, they can reach out to them, and it's all confidential, and they will help you walk through that so there can be healing on the other side of that. And at times I've interviewed ladies up there over the last uh, 10 years that have had that in their past and are, and are not on the other side like free of it, but they've, they've come to terms with it, and they understand it, and they're not constantly in a sense of grieving because there is forgiveness. 
So now there is no condemnation. That means you're not condemned for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There is forgiveness. So when it comes to any area of life, any part of life, we need to remember what you do with your body says something to everybody about who Christ follower, it's a given. God owns your body. As a created being, Christ owns your body. You just haven't gotten it yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, very hard subject, uh, very pertinent subject, difficult subject. We thank you that for all of us, there is forgiveness. There is acceptance. Jesus died for our disobedience. He died for the times where we did something that's really not good. And we thank you that we can have that peace in our lives. And I pray that each person in here doesn't walk away feeling defeated, but walks away feeling liberated and freed because there's forgiveness and there's a future of pointing to you with our being, with our body, inside and out. And we thank you for the privilege of that. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.